Over the last two weeks, we have been in this series called Chosen, Anointed, and more. And I hope and pray that God has been ministering to you. I hope and pray that you have seen this thing because in the process of this message, God has given me some crazy revelations, some revamping of words that have been thrown out in the church for a long time that have been misused because we wanted to call it one thing or say it was another rather than understanding what these words meant in us as believers. It has been my mission during this series to help you walk in the identity you have in God. Nothing in this world can give you any greater identity than the creator. And the best way to discover that identity is to find out what he has spoken over you. I want to say this to you. I've said this before, but I want to say it to you again. Creation can only be defined by its creator. Let me say that to you. Creation can only be defined by its creator. So let let me say this to you real quick. If anybody has ever spoken ill words over you, they have no value or no root because they did not create you. Unless you allow them to become the one that creates things in you. I understand who created me. The Bible says I was formed in my mother's womb. I was knitted together before the foundations of the earth. There is no one else but your mom and your dad. They had a responsibility. Yes, but God is the one that formed me. So when I want to know who I am, I seek the creator, not people, not social media. I don't even seek my mama to find out who I am. I go to the one that made me. It is time for you and I as believers to seek the creator of who we are, not seek the world of who we might become. Because here's the crazy thing. God has already created a plan and a purpose for you. You just got to get with him to find out what that is. I've seen this for years, people trying to figure out where they are or what they're doing or who they're going to become, and they go and consult with everybody. Why is it that we have to consult with everyone's opinions about who we should be in this life? The Word clearly defines who we should be, but yet we will leap over the Word of God to get the Word of man because it's easier to swallow the Word of man than it is to swallow this book. It is easier to take people's opinions than it is to listen to God and let God speak to a heart of a person and let him change you from the inside out rather than you change yourself from the outside in. There are so many people in the world that have settled for things that were never supposed to be theirs because they listened to the opinions of man rather than seek the heart of God. Let me help you with something. I would not be standing here if I listened to the opinion of man. I would not be married to her if I, didn't, if I listened to the opinion of man. Some people told me this would never happen, but God. Can I get an amen from a man somewhere in the room? Amen. Okay. People said, you'll, you'll always be messed up. You'll all, yeah, I get it. People talk some crazy stuff, but my God declared something greater over me. If I'm his creation, I better get an understanding of what the creator thinks about me. It is time for the believer of every race, color, creed to stop letting the times or the cultural circumstances be our identity. Can I say this? And this, this is going to bite a little bit. It's going to bite a little bit. It's going to bite. And, I, and I'm sorry, but it's going to bite a little bit. You know what's funny? We could have stopped where we are right now if we would have just started screaming what God's been screaming since the foundations of the earth. But now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden we want to act like we got a conscience. Now all of a sudden we want to act like, oh, we, we, we're not. No, we have become everything that God told us not to do. 
And now all of a sudden we're standing here screaming with our hands uplifted, yelling out for stuff that God says, if you'd have just done this thousands of years ago, if you'd have done it 33 years ago, if you'd have done it 42 years ago, shoot, if you'd have done it last year, we probably wouldn't be where we are. But here's the thing. We have stepped over God and stepped into culture. And we've now called culture our God and eliminated God. And God goes, have you read your Bible? Have you, have you read what my scripture said before you ever breathed your first breath? I wrote this book and I told you that I didn't agree with these things. And I destroyed lands because they hurt other people. And I told you that your brother is the best part of you and that you should be their keeper. And that you should cover them in prayer and you should support them and protect them. That you should love your neighbor as yourself. But now all of a sudden... Because there's things in the news and because there's things on the television, now we're going to act like we got it all together. No, because let me tell you why. We don't have it all together, and I'm going to say it. You ready? Here it comes. Because BLM and Antifa has become our God. It's become our Bible. Oh, I said it. Walk out the door. I don't care. Why are you saying this? Because at some point, we as believers have to look beyond the cultural response and step into the godly response. Instead of saying, what does the world say? Hold on. Let me consult my Bible because here's the only thing that's going to get me to eternity. All that other stuff won't get me there. And when we don't say this anymore, watch what happens. The world is waiting for you to take a stand on something. Here's the problem with the church. They're not standing on the word anymore. They're standing on cultural unrest. And calling it godliness. Have we lost our mind? Look, I just stepped out. Me saying that BLM and, and, and if you know BLM is Black Lives Matter, Antifa, all this stuff, that does not mean that black people don't matter to me. It is not the response. I'm going to love Rodney like he's my brother. Not like he's a black man. Like he's my brother. And I'm going to make sure that every day he knows that I love him like he's my brother. Because that's what my Bible tells me to do. Because I'm going to demonstrate who God is on the inside of me. You know what's funny? Is the moment I said BLM and Antifa, everybody got real weird all of a sudden. Oh, he went there. Oh, does he not know what that's going to cause? Everybody's going to be mad at him. I'd rather lose the world and gain heaven than lose heaven to gain the world. That old song, you're my brother, you're my sister, so take me by the hand. Together we'll walk. Okay, until he comes. Y'all remember that old song? The old Andre Crouch joint back in the day? Okay, like this, that's a great song, but we don't do that. Don't stand with me, walk with me. Don't stand with me, walk with me. Because if we're walking together, that means we're going somewhere, not standing around having pity parties. I will not be defined by the culture. I will only be defined by the creator and this word that speaks everything about my life. Sorry, that wasn't even in my notes. I apologize. It's time for our lives, our purpose, and our voice to match what God would say in this moment and the moments that will come. This is the perfect time for the church to rise up and show the world who their creator is. But the church is silent. It is having cultural conversations. Jesus didn't even have cultural conversations. He had life-changing conversations. He didn't change because the culture screamed. He brought the change into the earth and he demonstrated it even though the world didn't understand it. But yet the church is trying to find some relevancy in this moment. 
so that they can stay on the popular side of social media, so that friends continue to like them rather than dislike them. Can I just say to you, your likes on social media is not worth a dislike from heaven. I'm going to say this, and, and, and this, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm stuck in a rut on this one because I am driven. Can, it, can I just ask you to do something as the pastor of this house? Maybe you won't do it, maybe you will. But can you for the next week not post anything other than godliness? Scripture, the word. The world can't argue with the word, but the word can, world can argue with your opinions. I want to challenge you to take social media, which I'm going to be real honest with you, has become a weapon of mass destruction in our community and our culture today because it is a place of lack of accountability. We can say what we want to say without ever showing our face. And when somebody doesn't like it, we delete it as if we never said it. I hate to break this to you. Once it's on the internet, it's on there for life. We can always, they can always find it. But here's the problem is that we've entered a space of lack of accountability. So be accountable to what you say. Be accountable to what you declare. Don't post your opinions. Post the word. Because the word will change people. What I have enjoyed the most is watching believers post things about how good God is. Not how bad the times are. We've been in bad times since Jesus left the earth. Y'all know that, right? When Jesus left the earth, somebody said, when is the end times? The moment Jesus ascended to heaven, we started the end times. That's when it started. So we've been in the end times this whole time. And we've got to become voices of change. But the reason we're not voices of change any longer is because we have no identity in Christ. We have our identity on Sunday mornings. We have our identity on Monday nights. We have our identity uh, whether we lift our hands or don't lift our hands. We have our identity whether we serve God or don't serve God. We, we have our identity, but we don't have our identity because God made us this way. And this is who we are. Not only who we are, but whose we are. This is the perfect time for the church to rise up and show the world who their creator is. But in order for you and I to do that, we must know who we are in him. In the first part of this series, I spoke to you about being called, being called. And this is the thing that has been said in the church for years is that being called is the purpose of God. No, the calling of God is for you to come out of your sin and have right relationship with him. That is the call of God. So when people say to you, I want to walk in the call of God on my life, I got it for you. Let's pray the sinner's prayer. It's as simple as that. Well, pastor, no, no, I want to know what my purpose is. Listen, you can't walk in your purpose until you've given your heart over. Hmm. That being called was not your purpose, but an invitation to relationship. That those that are called are those who have chosen to answer and have said yes to a relationship with him. Did I say perfection? No, I said a relationship. Did I say you're going to get it right all the time? No, but a relationship. Does God have the right to tell you you're wrong? Or does he only have to tell you when you're great? Because here's the truth of it. Most of us only, most people only serve God. I won't say us. Most people only serve God when God tells us how good we are. But we will not serve God when he tells us when we're not doing it right. That is not a relationship. That is a yes man. That means you wanted a God of opinions, not a God of truth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 10 says this. Let me prove to you that God called us. This is the calling of God. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who did what? Who called you where? Out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. He says, I have, he, he, he didn't call you to just look cute. He didn't call you to wear dress clothes. He didn't call you to sit up on the front row. I'm not talking about the people in the front row this morning. He, he, he didn't call you to be perfect. He didn't call you to be super holy. He called you out of darkness. He said, listen, sin is not the plan I had for you, but my marvelous light is what I wanted for you. So I'm calling you. I'm saying, hey, are you tired yet? Are you weary yet? Come out of the darkness and come into this marvelous light that will illuminate who you were supposed to be, not who the darkness told you you had to be. That's the calling of God. So when someone says, I want to walk in the call of God, this is what you need to find out. Have you given your heart to God? Now, let me say this to the sidebar for just a second. Hmm. Ah. Just because you prayed the sinner's prayer doesn't mean you gave your heart. Just because you came to the altar because you had a weeping moment on a Sunday doesn't mean you gave your heart. Because giving your heart says, God, I can't fix the broken pieces, but I know that you're the potter and I'm the clay. And so here are my broken pieces and whatever you choose to do with it, I'll trust you. I know I have an idea of what I want my heart to look like, but I think that the one that created my heart can make it better than I can. So God, here's the pieces of my life. Here is, here is who I am. And so God, take me, mold me, make me, shape me, do whatever you have. But I know what you'll do is you'll make me so well that when I'm under the pressure of the fire, I will not break. We give God our emotion. We give God our Sunday attendance. We give God our church moments. But our lifestyles do not reflect that of one that is called by God. Because we are not walking in relationship with God. Watch this. Judah sits in the room. Judah, I don't need you to say it out loud. I know the answer. Do you have a desire to hurt me? Ever. Is it because you love me? It's because we have relationship. Do you always agree with me? You were supposed to go yes. No, I'm just kidding. Do you always like what I tell you? Okay. But do you ever question whether I love you? Because we have right relationship. We understand where each other's at. Do I always do it right with him? No. And when I don't, I deal with it. Somebody asked me, they said, do you spank your son? I think Judas had maybe five spankings in his entire life. People go, you didn't beat your child. I didn't need to. I talked to him. Here, let me help you with something. You'd receive far less godly whippings if you just listened to him. If we just listen and obey, we'd probably receive a lot less spiritual butt whippings. Anybody ever had a spiritual butt whipping? I've had quite a few in my lifetime. Some of y'all ain't going to raise your hand. You're too holy for me. Write a book. Let me know how you did it. Amen. But the truth be told is, is that God has called us into this thing. You're a chosen generation. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The call of God is not a going out, but a coming to. Coming into right relationship with him. I am called by God. You want to know how I can say that? Because I'm in right relationship with him. I'm called by God. That's a good feeling. But it's just the start. Because last week we got into the point called chosen. Wait, how is called and chosen? How are they two different things? Well, here's, here's how. We discussed the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew chapter 22. And the word of God says in Matthew twenty two fourteen, for many are called, but few are chosen. You know, I used to read this scripture and I used to look at it and go, man, that really, that means there's a few. There's only a few that God chooses. Uh-uh. There's a few that have accepted the fact that he chose them. I learned this years ago that being chosen is a choice. It's not a mandate. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. 
right? So we understand he has a plan for us. He's chosen us to walk out that plan. But what we choose to do with our lives is up to us. It's not up to him. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force us into relationship. He desires a right relationship with us. And it is out of that right relationship, out of operating in the calling, that we find out that God has chosen us. Chosen us to do what? Chosen us to be great. Chosen us to do all these things. No. Chosen us to expand the kingdom of God. Chosen us to live for him and him alone. Chosen us to, to do it for his glory, not for our own. He's, he's chosen us. The translation of for many have been called, but few are chosen. The translation for everyone has been called by God, but only a few are chosen by God. This goes into that weird space of the frozen chosen, the 140,000, 144,000, like only a few people will inherit the kingdom of God. How is that the case? Because if that's the case, then talk to me about the man who was on the cross next to Jesus, who was dying and going to hell for his sins, yet recognized Jesus on the cross next to him and looked at him and says, when you leave this earth, do not forget me. Let me. And Jesus says, today you will dine with me in heaven. This man knew of his sin, knew where he was headed, but recognized who Jesus was in just a moment connected a relationship, found out that he was called, and asked God, asked God in flesh form to remember him, to put him back together. And then God gave him a promise that day. Being chosen is the purpose that God has for you. Being chosen is the purpose God, had for, God has for you. So in other words, stop telling everybody what your purpose to do. Understand that you're chosen and be willing to do whatever he calls you to do, whatever he tells you to do. Because this is the funny thing. It's like you get people in the church sometimes. They're like, man, pastor, I really want to serve in the church, but I don't want to change diapers. But if God stepped in the room in flesh form and said, I need 10 people that will sign up today to help me change diapers. Oh, pastor, God, God, I'll do that. God, I'm your man. I'm your man. I'll change. Even if you have a bad gag reflex to diapers, you're still going to change. Why? Because God said, I need somebody. Because here's the truth of it. If we have a relationship with God, we don't tell God where we will and won't serve. We tell God we'll be a servant and wherever you put me, I'll do it. Wherever you send me, whatever you have for me to do, I'll do it. I'm not going to argue with you. I might not like it, but I'll understand it as I process through it. When I asked to go be a preacher and the pastor handed me a toilet brush, that's not what I asked for. But who knew that I would write my first 32 sermons scrubbing toilets? Who knew that I would hear the voice of God so clearly over those three years? Who knew that God would begin to perfect things in me and cause me to go stand in a sanctuary that had 5,000 chairs in it and I would preach a sermon to empty chairs, have an altar call, respond to it myself and just envision what it would be like to step into that moment. Why? Because God had a purpose, but he had to start me by scrubbing a toilet. This being chosen is not for a selected few, but those that desire to be used by God, chosen to be more, to do more, not for yourself, but for the kingdom of God. If I say that I'm chosen, then I'm saying that I have accepted his call and made a decision to be used for his glory. Used for whose glory? Pastor, I just want to be in the spotlight. Can I just tell you something? This is not fun. Y'all go, but pastor, it's, it's great. You're on the platform and you're behind the podium and you're the man. No, I'm a man who serves the man. These lights are uncomfortable. Let me tell you why they're uncomfortable. Can I just be fleshy for a minute? Not only do every one of these lights run at 98 degrees, okay, and you wonder why it's cold in the sanctuary, because I'm sweating, amen. Not only are these things hot, but they illuminate every imperfection that I have. 
Can I just elaborate a little bit? You don't want to look heavy under lights. So you're like, man, I got to, if you got a blemish on your face, God forbid we get a, a facial thing going on that morning. Oh, pastor, I see it. And here's the crazy part. The world goes, did you see it? Did you see it? God forbid I forget to zip up my pants. Because here's the thing. No one's going to run up and go, pastor. See, now you got me wanting to check if my pants are zipped up right now. God forbid, because here's what's going to happen. Now all of a sudden, I'm self-conscious, and I feel like a kid again back at school. You know when you walked up into the crowd of people, and everybody was laughing, and when you walked up, everybody stopped laughing, and you realized they were talking about you? Don't look at me like you never had that moment. I did. And so you're like, great, now, 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 now I'm the joke. Now, I'm, now, now, now I messed up. Here I, here I am. My bad. This, this, none of this is comfortable. But not only does it expose the flesh side of me, it makes me have to expose the inside of me. Because here's the truth of it. No one will listen to somebody who's walled off and won't be transparent. I don't come up here and say, look what I've done. I come in here and tell you what God's done in me. And let me show you the flaws of this person that stands before you and calls himself pastor. If I say that I'm chosen, then I'm saying that I have accepted his call and made a decision to be used for his glory. In today's culture, there's a lot of called, but very few who have made the decision to be chosen. Very few that have accepted the responsibility and the accountability that comes with it. You can spend your whole life just being the called and never experience the satisfaction and joy that comes when we lay it all down and choose to live this life each day as the one he has chosen. John 15, 16 says it like this. You did not choose him, but he chose you and appointed you, purposed you, that you should go but I just want to sit. Uh-uh. That you should go. But I just want to, I just want to soak it up. Uh-uh. So that you should go and do what? And bear fruit. And that fruit should remain. You are living epistles being judged by men daily. That's what the word says. Living epistles being judged by men daily. Pastor, there's no judgment. Yes, there is. Because people want to see if you really are who you say you are. People want to see if you really believe this God thing like you said. Because no one's going to follow somebody who's wish-washy when moments come. You are living epistles being judged by men daily. And the Bible says you will know them by their fruit. If you don't have good fruit, you are not operating in the chosen perspective or the appointed perspective. You are operating in yourself and you are not bearing good fruit. Because the Bible says that those he chose are, and are appointed, that they should go and bear fruit and that their fruit should remain, which means it's healthy fruit. That then whatever you ask, for the, ask from the Father in my name, he may give you. Can I be honest with you? Last week we prayed over the storm. I'm, not, I'm just going to say this. Last week we prayed over the storm. We prayed for Olivia. I fervently believe that God not only heard our prayers, but moved on our prayers. Amen. Why? Because I'm called and I've accepted the chosen. Therefore, when I go and do what he's called me to do, he says, whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to give it to you. Whatever you ask, I'm going to give it to you. Maybe sometimes what we're asking for is not coming because God is looking at the called and chosen perspective to see if you signed up yet. Because I think a lot of times we come to God and ask him for stuff without accepting being called and without accepting being chosen. And we're operating in just being in church. We're functioning in just the church. And we think that the church, listen, the devil shows up at church. I've been doing this long enough to watch it happen. 
I've seen people under demonic influence show up in services and interrupt the whole flow of a church service. Middle of me preaching. Interrupt the whole room. Some of y'all were there for that one Sunday years back. Got up and stood up in the middle of church. Pastor, can I say something? Sure you can. We prayed for him, and he's like, and the whole time we were praying, I'm like, okay, you can go out that door. You need to go because you, you don't want this right now. And they went out with the staff. But, but here's the thing is that at some point, we've got to step into this place. Church is not enough for you. Can I just say this to you as a believer? Church is not enough. It is just a part of this thing. But church is, just to say you get up on a Sunday morning and go to church, it's not enough. There are going to be people who go to church that go to hell. Because going and sitting in a chair and listening to me preach is not changing you. You have to make the decision to change and to live a life that is visual to the rest of the world. That you are not only called, but you have been chosen by God. And you are operating according to his purposes and plans. Then the world goes, I know who you are. Not, well, who are they? If you told the world that you were a believer, would they believe you? Or do you just tell them you go to church on Sunday? Because if all we're going to do is claim the Sunday morning experience, we don't have relationship. We just have good attendance. We just have good Sunday attendance. Until this thing starts to change us and make us into becoming what he's called and purposed us to do, then we are just rotating in the same space over and over. And that's why we end up stepping away. Why do you think we started Heart of a Believer in the discipleship course? Not so I could do more stuff, not so I could have more things to do at the church, but because we need this as a body. We need to understand God's heart towards us. And then we need to get off of our butts and do something with it. We need to do more than just church attendance. We need to do more than just being on a volunteer team in the church and calling it godliness. We need to demonstrate God in the earth. We need to become true disciples, followers of Christ, not telling Christ where to go, but God, wherever you send me, that's where I'm going to go. God, I know your heart so that when things don't work your way, you never make this dumb statement. I don't know if God likes me. I think God's mad at me. No, God's grieving over you because you've made dumb decisions, but his heart is for you and he wants to have right relationship with you. And all you got to do is come back to him and cry out, Abba, and he'll receive you back into his arms and he'll walk with you. Into, he, he, he loves you. He, th this, is, this is the stuff we've got to get back to in the church. Where are we? Social media. Doing everything but declaring God in the kingdom of heaven. Doing everything but showing the world whose we are. Today, I want to talk about the next level to our identity. You said, Pastor, you ain't even started? Nope. Because the next part of it is, is being anointed. So, so here, here's how it works. I come into right relationship with God. I'm called by God. I walk in this relationship. I desire. Does that mean I'm perfect? No. But I'm called by God. I desire to have right relationship with him. I walk with him. I talk with him. Sometimes I make mistakes, but I keep coming back to him. David was a man after God's heart, but yet made a ton of mistakes. I'm not saying that mistakes are okay and that you should just be privy to or prone to going and making mistakes, but God understands as long as we have a repentant heart. I know that's not talked about a lot in the church today. Repentance is kind of a taboo subject because we want to live under the bubble of grace. But the truth be told is that I am here to pop the bubble of grace because grace is for the sinner, but you have to come under repentance to find that grace. 
Okay, I know this is old school teaching, but we need to get back to the foundations of the word, not the foundation of opinions. And, and so, so we've, we've come under this thing. We've repented of our sins. We've come into right relationship. We allow God to speak to us. We allow God to correct us. We allow God to lead us. We don't tell God where we're going. We go where God's going. And we walk with him in the cool of the garden and in the hot of the summer. We're not just looking for the comfortable moments, but we understand that he has to walk with us in every phase of our lives. It is in that process that God begins to speak to us and show us what he's purposed us to do. He begins to demonstrate to help us to see that we've been chosen by him for his purpose, not our own. So we step from the place of being called up into the place of being chosen. How many of y'all want to be chosen by God? Good. But you need something in you and on you to operate as the chosen. Because you don't have enough power on the inside of you to be chosen. There is not any ability in you that gives you enough power to be chosen by God. You have to rely upon something else. That is where the anointed steps in. Now, here's the problem. I have heard in the church, oh, he is an anointed man. He's an, she's an anointed woman. Okay, well, let me go back over here for a second. Let me make sure, let me look at this thing for a second. Are they walking in right relationship with God? Now, let me help you with something. That is not governed by Sunday attendance. That is not governed by church. Are they walking in right relationship with God? Do I see fruit? Okay. So I got that one's checked off. Okay. I'm going to step into the chosen. Have they accepted the purpose of God on their lives? Yes. Are they, are they always telling God that they're, he's wrong and they're right and they're going to do it their way? Or are they willing to do whatever God says for them to do? Okay. Yeah. They're good. Yep. Now they're anointed. We have messed this up. Because we have not fact-checked the anointing on people. And we call them anointed. And then we get butt hurt when they, when they start acting in the flesh. And then we go, man, what happened? We didn't look at what was going on. I served under a pastor in the early years of my ministry that fell. Yet he was anointed. No, because he stepped out of his calling. He started telling God what he was going to do. He's going to go from being a pastor to being a life coach. Can I just say this to you? Can I just say this to you? This is just me. Don't get mad at me. If you're a life coach, don't get ticked off of me what I'm about to tell you. But I have a problem with those who have accepted the call of God to pastor, to shepherd the flock, who cannot effectively do it because they really didn't consult God. They saw the lights of the pulpit. And now they cannot function as that. So now they're going to change the title on their lives to life coach because now they got to become what the world wants them to be rather than staying in the calling and the mandate and the purpose and the chosen that God laid on him. Let me help you with something. You will never in my life ever see me attach the word life coach to Brian Dean. Because I am called to, and purposed and chosen to be a pastor, to be a shepherd of sheep. Am I perfect at it? Heck No. And when I make mistakes, I lay myself at the foot of the cross and say, God, teach me, show me, direct me, lead me, help me, God. I'm human. I'm flesh. But crucify that piece of me. It is those places that I'm able to walk and that I believe that when we prayed last Sunday, I don't believe it was my prayer. I believe it was the anointing on the prayer is what moved, caused that storm to go. He said, Brian, he's a guy, there's a church down there in Slidell that's praying against this storm. And they've laid the storm in my hands. That group of people are called and chosen by me. 
that group down there prayed for that little girl who's got Crohn's disease, and the doctor says she's going to die if she doesn't get treatment. But there's a group of people down there that are called and chosen by me, and they're not praying in their own right. They're praying under the anointing. They're praying under the movement of the Holy Spirit. They're praying under the power, the Acts power, the book of Acts power. They're, they're moving in that revelation. And so watch what I do. See, here's the truth of it. The anointing has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. You are not anointed. He is. He's just demonstrating it through you. But you need the anointing to function in what you're doing. There are a lot of statements made in the church today, but a lot of times there's no fruit to sustain it. The pre-qualifications to the anointed is first answering the call and then choosing to be chosen by God and allow his plan to overtake you and walk as you're chosen. Don't tell me what you're going to do. Tell me that you're willing to do. Trust me, preaching was not on my list. I grew up as the worst person to stand in a crowd and talk to people. I couldn't even look you dead in the eye when I talked to you. I'd walk past people and look down. Hey, 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 how are you, how are you doing? I, I was so nervous. I was, this is not me, but yet the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me give you another quick story real quick. Years ago when I was a youth pastor in New Orleans, we had a big concert one night with Jeremy Camp. That's old school right there. Um, we had a big concert with Jeremy Camp, and I went to go step down the stairs, and I fell. My toe touched the top of my calf. Don't ask me how. I tore every ligament in my foot. Every ligament. My foot was this big around by the time I got to my house that night. Stuck in an ice bucket. I was supposed to preach the next morning. It was, it was our youth Sunday, and I was supposed to preach in the pulpit. And the pastor called me. He said, Brian, are you able to preach? I said, I'll be there. I had some people meet me, got me into the car. We got to the church, and I got in there, and I was sitting down the whole service. Then it came time for me to take the platform. I walk, hobble up the stairs, get up on the platform, and the anointing took over. I was running back and forth, leaping up and down, jumping and acting like I lost my head. The moment I closed service, the moment we finished the altar call, all the pain hit my leg, and I could not walk. Pastor, why didn't God just heal you? He was demonstrating his anointing to move through me because I said, God, you chose me to preach this word. You gave me this word, and I'm going to be obedient to what you've given me. Even in the midst of my adversity, even in the midst of my struggle, I'm still chosen by God. I need your anointing to fulfill this purpose. And he moved. But I need the anointing. That is not mine. That is his. It just flows through me. Remember that it says in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. When your walking is chosen, then you will go and bear fruit and your fruit should remain. It is, it is once those things are functioning in your life that God comes and allows you to be anointed. Do not claim your anointing over your calling. Do not tell the world, I'm anointed if your relationship is not right. Do not tell the world you're anointed if you're not functioning and doing what he's purposed you to do. Because the anointing is just a feel-good for you. It's a pre-workout for somebody who doesn't work out. Oh, I'm going to drink this pre-workout. You don't even go to the gym. What you drink? It's because you want to feel something rather than do something. And we wonder why we got heart problems in the earth today. As I was reading through, as I was writing this, I, I kept being hit with the story of David. And most of you know the story of David, and not, not, not the David and Goliath story that we all know, but, but the David story in 1 Samuel 
where Samuel is going to anoint the next king because Saul has lost his ever-loving mind. And God says, I have no favor with Saul, and, and so you need to go and anoint the next king. And so God sends him to Bethlehem to the home of Jesse because one of his boys will be the next king. One of his eight boys will be the next king. And Samuel invites Jesse and his boys to the sacrifice that he's preparing. And when they had all come together, Samuel looks at seven of the boys, and God refuses all of them. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Can I just stop here for just a second? Can I just stay here for a second? Understand that everything that you're called and purpose to do will start from your heart, not from your hands. Stop trying to demonstrate your anointing with your hands and demonstrate it with your heart. Let God have the fleshiness of your heart. Let him have the spirit of your heart, and then God will utilize that. But stop trying to say, well, the more I do for God, that's how I'm operating in my function. No, that's not how God operates because you're not doing it with the right heart. God says, I don't look at the outward appearance because all the brothers of David were big in stature. They were strong guys. David was not that guy. But he said, listen, I refused all seven of these. Why? Because they, none of them have my heart. They just have strong stature. Anointing doesn't, is not made for you to look big. Anointing is to make God look big. It goes on. It, it says, now, David, now, now we, we understand so that in this moment the brothers are there, but David is gone. And in 1 Samuel 16, 10, it says, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. Now, David, David was out tending to his father's sheep. In other words, he was about his father's business, not his own business. He was already doing the work of his father. He wasn't doing it for himself. He was saying, listen, my dad needs help. I'm going to go do what he wants. Do you think David wanted to sit out there and kill lions and tigers and bears? There was a few of y'all. Amen. Do you think that's what he wanted to do? Do you think he wanted to be out there? I mean, come on. His brothers were sitting there eating up the lap of luxury, and David's out there tending the fields dealing with animals that want to kill all the sheep. But he understands that I'm about my dad's business, so I'm going to do what my father asks. It might not be what I want to do, but I'm going to go do it. And it was in that place that he develops a great relationship, his calling with God. It is in that place while he's tending the sheep that he develops his relationship with God. We don't ever hear about the conversations that God and David had in the outskirts of town or in the fields while he's tending the sheep. But I think that kind of went something like this. David, I've chosen you and I've appointed you. Yeah, but God, what? You'll know in due season. But I need you to understand that the reason you're out here right now is because I'm perfecting you to hear my voice so that in every moment, in every situation that you exist, even whether it's good or whether it's bad, you will always come back and talk to me. I'm developing this relationship, and out of this relationship, you're going to step into your chosen place. And then you step into your chosen place. I need you to understand that I will anoint you to fulfill that purpose. And the world might come against you, and the world might say things about you, and everybody might try to take you out. But I need you to understand that I am protecting you, and I am standing over you but I still just need to have this time with you. It says the day he was out in the field, and, and so, so he's out tending his father's business. He's operating in his calling, in his relationship with God, and then it goes on in verse 16, chapter 16, verse 12. It says, And the Lord said to Samuel, uh, said, said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Could you imagine being in this moment? You've been outside tending to the sheep. You come back. Samuel's standing here. You know who this guy is. This guy is like a prophet of God. This, you know it's about to get crazy. The brothers are standing there, and they're all like just standing like big dudes. And, and David just walks in like, I don't even know why I'm here. I've been out there all day. And I sit down, and Samuel looks at me and goes, hey, you, stand up. Could you imagine that moment? Stand up. Come here. 
Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Can I just say this to you? This is the crazy part that most people don't realize. The Bible says that the finger of God was on the tip of the ram's horn. That Samuel would place the ram's horn over the brothers, and the finger of God would not come off. So the oil would not flow from the ram's horn until David showed up. And when David walked in, Samuel put the ram's horn over David, and the anointing oil fell. Watch this. No one can steal your anointing. Stop it. He took, he took mine. He took mine. That was mine. Shh. No one can steal your anointing. No one. But let me help you with something. Someone can step in the places you won't go into. Because the Bible says if you won't accept it, I'll find somebody who will. I'll remove my hand from you and place it on someone else that will say yes to what I've told them to do. Can I just say this to you? I pray that I have not missed God. But I can guarantee you there have been moments where God said, do this, and I didn't do it because of my flesh. So he appointed someone else to fulfill the purpose. I believe things in my life would have been a lot different had I just said yes from the beginning rather than argue with him through the process. Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. The anointing came to empower him to be king. He had no idea, but God had chosen him because he was operating his calling. And when God chose him, he accepted it. This same anointing is what empowers you to do what God has purposed you to do. You cannot function as chosen in your own ability. You need the anointing. Did you hear what I just said? You need the anointing. Oh, that makes me weak. You're right. You are weak. And in your weakness, he is strong. Have you read your word? He doesn't need you to be He-Man. He doesn't need you to be Superman. You can just be Clark Kent. It's okay. But you need the anointing. If there is no anointing in what you are doing for the kingdom of God, it will not work. Can I say that again? If there is no anointing in what you're doing for the kingdom of God, it will not It will not work. I'm going to use the servant place of the church as, a, as just a, as a barrier line for this moment. It's amazing to me that sometimes people will tell me where they won't serve, but yet end up serving where they said they wouldn't serve. Oh, pastor, I'm not called to kids. Now, the reason I bring up kids is because that's the one nobody wants to go to. Because everybody wants to drop off their kids rather than attend to kids. Amen? Because most people are like, ah, I can't deal with children. But yet if I watch you in the hall, you have more fun with the kids than half the kids' workers. Which I'm confused by. But no, I'm not called to kids. I'm not called to kids. I, I can't stand kids, Pastor. I've heard that one too. That was pretty fun. But then all of a sudden they come back to me and they go, I just have been praying and I think I, think I want to go to kids. Wait a minute, wait, 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 what changed? I got in my calling. He gave me a directive. I said yes to it. And now I'm over here, and I can't do it in my own right. I might not really enjoy this moment, but for some reason, I get around him, and I get pumped. And I want to have fun. That's the best thing I've ever decided. That's better than ushering and greeting any day. Just kidding. Pastor Troy's ever going, don't see. Okay. The truth that it is, and this is what we talk about in the staff meetings all the time, is that I want to put people in their right fit, not their wrong fits. If I see that you have a better function that you might not see yet, 
but I can see it because I'm watching how you're interacting. I start to see that there's a, there's a mandate for you to do a certain thing. But I'm not going to come to you and go, I think you ought to do this and this is what you're going to do. I go, pray about it. Why? Because his voice has to be louder than my voice. His calling has to be louder than my calling. His chosen has to be louder than my chosen. So that you can walk in the anointing he's given you to do it. You need the anointing. But what is your anointing? What are you anointed to do? Here's the last set of scriptures I'm going to read to you today because Isaiah says it perfectly, especially in the season that we're in in our nation, in our cities. Watch Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah chapter 61, starting in verse one. You ready? Everybody got an ear to hear right now, right? Because I need you to listen to this moment. Write down whatever you got to do. But Isaiah 61, one, I need you to understand this is how we have to function. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has Say empowered. Given me strength to. I'm strong in him to do this. Okay. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Watch. Here it comes. To preach good tidings to the poor. Watch. It doesn't say give alms to the poor. It says to preach good tidings to the poor. Watch where I'm about to head with this. You cannot buy someone's deliverance. Silver and gold have I not, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise, behold, be healed, walk, take up your walk, go. But here's the problem. We don't do that anymore. We buy people's deliverance. And we feel good by slapping a $20 bill on it. Or we just ignore them altogether because half of them are making the stories up and they're just trying to scam people truth. But where is the church that gets out and says, hey, can I pray with you? Preach good tidings. Preach the kingdom of God to the poor. Bring wealth and value into their lives that will change their circumstance and how they see things. Here's the problem. We're not washing the dead scales from people's eyes. We're keeping the scales on them and handing them money thinking that's going to save them. Your money does not save you. Try looking at your own life. Keep chasing money. It will not save you. Because when you have what you want, you'll want more. Money does not fix it. The Bible says it's the love of money is the root of all evil. I'm not going to get out and give somebody a 20 because they asked for a 20. I'm going to give them the thing that got me out of prison. I'm going to give them the thing that got me from being homeless. I'm going to give them the thing that got me from sleeping in my car and taking showers inside of a truck stop. I'm going to give them the thing that caused me to see better than what I was seeing. I'm going to give them the thing that made me see who the creator saw me as, not what the world saw me as. I'm going to give them that. And when I give them that, then their life is going to be changed because I have complete faith that the same God that healed and delivered me is the same God that can deliver them. Nobody's handing you money. Why are we giving the world money? Preach good tidings to the poor. You're anointed to do it. Go tell them the good news. Get them out of their bed of afflictions. Lay hands on the sick and see them recover. But don't, don't. Don't, don't enable their pain and call it godliness. He said, I've anointed you to preach good tidings to the poor. I've anointed you. He says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To do what? Wait, 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 wait. To play kumbaya sessions with the brokenhearted? 
to accept and join the club of the brokenhearted? To, to go, well, well, you know, I understand. You know, I just, I know it's been a tough time. And, you know, I just know, you know, I was brokenhearted once too. And, I'm, you know, I still have problems. And, you know, I'm hoping you're going to get through this. No. Listen, if you take the broken pieces of your heart and give them to the Father, the one who created your heart. Listen, God's heart was never for you to have a broken heart. But God so desires to put the pieces of your life back together. And let me tell you what he did for me because I want him to do the same thing for you. So I, he sent me to, can, can I pray with you? Can I walk with you? Can I, can I, can I be with you? Can I, can I take this journey with you until we finish this race together? I don't want you brokenhearted. That's not God's heart for you. But what the problem is, is in the culture today, we've accepted the brokenhearted because we all have to be accepted. Can I just say this to you? I accept the person, but I don't accept the pain. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It's like somebody comes and says, Pastor, I have cancer. Oh, that sucks. No, I serve a God who can heal you from it. Let's talk about that. Let, let's talk about the God that can deliver us from things, not keep you in the circle of the pain of your struggles. But this is the problem. We don't want to speak up anymore because what if God doesn't do it? What, what God do you serve then? And why do you, why do you even come to church? If you don't have faith that the God that you pray to and the God that you serve is going to show up, then stop serving him. Just stop because you're wasting your time and energy. Stop it. You got to come to a right understanding, a relationship with him, and then you'll be able to do it. He says to, to, to heal the brokenhearted. Stop joining the brokenhearted club so that people feel loved. No. Hey, enough. That's not God's heart. But my heart's broken. I get it, and I understand it, but can you just stop holding on to your pain and telling the world that you're broken all the time? Are you tired of saying that you're broken? Because I hear it all the time. I'm broken. I'm so broken. Oh, God, I'm so broken. But I serve a God that put me back together. There's that old statement. It's, uh, it was uh, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. He said all the king's horses and all the king's men put and couldn't put Humpty back together again. And a guy that I used to listen to a lot, B.B. Wine, and said this. The problem was is that he called on the wrong king. So many times we're calling on the wrong thing rather than the only thing that can fix us. He says he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. How many people in our culture right now are captive? How many people are bound right now? And here's the funny thing. We're locking ourselves up with them rather than unlocking them so that they can be free. We're not proclaiming liberty to the captive. We're, playing, we're proclaiming captivity to what's already captive. That's like telling a jail, a person in jail that they're in jail. Hey, man, do you know you're in jail? Duh. Thanks for the help. Appreciate it. As opposed to, listen, I see where you are, and that's not, I'm here to declaim liberty. God, proclaim liberty. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be free. Whatever's fighting you, God wants you to be free from it. Okay, watch. Proclaim liberty to the captive. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Are you catching this yet? He's anointed you to do these things. He's given you the power to do these things, to proclaim this acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Oh, no, wait, 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 no. We just want to proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord. We don't want to proclaim the vengeance of God. Pastor, what are you talking about? Baby, this is what the word says. If you think you serve a God that is not vengeful to deal with situations, you have not read your Bible. Because God of the Old Testament, I hate to break this to y'all, is still the God of the New Testament. But no, we just want to be under the grace and of Jesus and the love. and the, Just want to feel the love. Just want, to, just want to feel the love. That's, that's what's happened. We've become a bunch of sissy Christians rather than firm believers. 
I serve a God, but here's the great part. I serve a God who's vengeful. What's he vengeful on? He tells you in his word, he'll attack those who come against you. Nothing that comes my way will take me out. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Because I know where I am in this thing. Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. God will set things straight. We don't want to claim this part of God because we want to make God a, mm, a pansy, a sissy. We've taken the masculinity of God the Father. i got to be careful I say this. We've taken the strength of the Father and we put a skirt on him. That's not to say anything about women. But no wonder the Father is not found in the house anymore. Because we've eliminated the Father of all fathers. No wonder fathers don't know how to be fathers anymore because they don't have a father to look forward to or to look onto, or to lean onto. And we've taken the Father that is above everything, and we've ripped him out of the homes, and we've ripped him out of the church, and we've, we've, we've made him look sissy, and, and we've not said he's the Father. But here's the great thing about a father, that this Father. This Father is not just, a, just not strong, but he's soft at times too. He understands his role. But we've eliminated the father out of the house. And this is the old teaching. And people go, don't say those things. And why are you, it's just sexist what you're saying. It's not sexist. Can I say this to you? I don't believe a woman's place is in the kitchen. But a man's place is not sitting on the couch telling his wife to get in the kitchen. Because if a man loved his wife, he'd come alongside his wife, not tell his wife where to go. How can I help you? One night my wife was in the kitchen, wanted to go cook something, and, and I was tired. Can I just be honest? I was tired. And she was going to make something, some kind of dessert. And she looked at me, she says, you don't, you don't ever come and help me in the kitchen anymore. Bro, I felt so guilty. <laughs> she went in, I'm like walking behind her, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And we got back in the bedroom that night, we we're sitting down in the bed, and we're talking, I said, D do you really? She's like, well, you used to do it a lot, but you haven't done it in a while. And I said, well, I got to fix that. But then I go back in the kitchen like three days later. Can I help? No, I got it. <laughs> I'm confused right now, man. I don't know what to do. Okay. I had to make it light for a second because I made it really tough a minute ago. The truth of it is at the end of the day, I have a role, a responsibility. The Bible says I'm the priest and king of my home. It does not say that she is. And it is wrong to enforce her to become that. But the culture today has said that now she has to become the priest and king of her home because we as men won't stand up and be counted. And it is time for the man to say, hey, hold on, I'm going to be the priest, which means I'm going to be the biblical foundation of this house. I'm going to lead this house in the things of God and not put it on her shoulders to do it. And when it says king, that means I will provide and protect at all costs. That does not mean I will dictate. It means I will govern and protect and provide. I will tend to this family so that this family can be blessed. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is so abnormal teaching now because now we've had to change scripture to fit the culture. No, I'm going to keep the scripture to change the culture. This is fathers or men love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, stop it. It's not marriage counseling today, but praise God. To comfort all who mourn. He's anointed you to do this. To comfort how many? All who mourn. 
to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Look at what it says here, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Stop. What are we talking about? In other words, stop playing pity parties with people and declare the joy of the Lord to be their strength. Show them how to strip off the garments of mourning and put on the garment of praise. Show them how to lay aside everything that's been on them and pick on the pick up and put on the things that God has for them. Show them how to walk away from the pains of their past into the promise of their future. Stop walking backwards with people calling it my duty. It is not your duty. It is your responsibility to say, look, look where I'm looking. Look where my eyes are focused. Look under the hills for which cometh my help. Now walk with me. Because I promise you, he'll do the same thing for you he did for me. He said that they might be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Can I just, I got three more things I'm not going to say today. I'm struggling right now as a pastor. And, and, and I, have, I have weighed out so many times whether to say anything. Because I know whatever comes out of my mouth could hurt. Might create a moment, might create struggle. But the other night I was praying and I just said, God, I, I, don't, I need your wisdom on this. Because I, I, I don't know what to do with this one. I want to stand up here and pound, the, pound my fist on the podium and scream and yell. I said, God, am I wrong for this? He goes, no, I've been pounding on the throne of heaven for a long time. I said, but God, I don't want to say it and it hurt people. He goes, Brian... Have you ever noticed that a lot of what I say always hurts? Here's where I've been, and you can close your Bibles and put your notepads away because I'm not going to say anything that you need to write down or anything. I just want you to hear this for a second. I'm going to say this very strongly, and I need you to hear this. Don't just hear it and then run away with it and go, no, that's not for me. I just want you to hear it and let it sink. The church today in its current state has become in a lot of ways the Israelites who cried for Barabbas. Because the crowd who didn't know Jesus cried for Barabbas. I don't care what video you watch. Sometimes they'll say that the, the, the synagogue preachers or the the priest cried out for Barabbas to get the crowd to do it. And can, can I just take a sidebar for a second? It's amazing that I have an opportunity to stand on this pulpit. And, I can, and I'm going to say this with, with all love. I can wield certain words and make certain statements that make you move into certain things. Because you trust me to pastor you and to shepherd you. At the same time, I have the responsibility to adhere to the word no matter what, even if it doesn't make me popular. 
even if you get up and walk out the door. And let me tell you something, over 15 years, a lot of people have walked out the door. Didn't agree with what I said. Never sat down to talk with me. Just made an assumption and walked out the door and said, well, he said this. But never took the time to find out what I meant by it or what I was trying to say by it. But, but let me say this to you. If you're sitting in this room today and you say, Pastor, I'm a believer. Y'all know how I feel about the title Christian. I, I'm a believer. The Bible calls you a believer. I'm a believer. Most high God, I'm a believer. Every fiber of my core of my being is a believer. Then when will you show the world who you are? Somebody asked me one day, they said, why don't you ever post anything on social media? I said, because I don't want to join the club. The only thing I ever post on social media is pictures of my kids and my wife and my, I mean, it's just family stuff. I don't, I don't get, but you should say something. Why? So I can be berated on social media? You might sit in this room right now and you might be a Trump fan. You might be a Biden fan. I don't care. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You better make sure that when you vote, you're voting down God lines, not party lines. And can I just say this to you? It is worse to accept that which is anti-biblical and say, well, I had to pick the lesser of two evils. Careful, you might just get Barabbas. And I'm not saying one way or the other. Pastor, I know you're a Trump supporter. Well, you'd be honest and be honest with you, I didn't vote last election. Why? Because I didn't see anybody that was worth putting in presence of. Has, has our current president done some good things? Yeah, so has every other president done some good things. But you know what I'm believing for? Godliness. I, I saw this hat the other day, and I, if I can find it, I'm going to buy it. It didn't say make America great again. It said make America holy again. I want the reflection of my life to be that which declares God over everything. Make sure that your life, that make sure that what you do is not just a Sunday appearance. Let me put my nice clothes on. Let me lift up my hands in worship. I'll cuss like a sailor on Monday. But Sunday, you know, God, you get my whole mouth. Make sure that who you are is demonstrated in everything that you don't. Listen, I'm going to say this to you. Don't run in here calling yourself saved if you lived like a sinner last night and didn't repent for it. Don't do it. And I'm going to say this to you because I know that's in this room. I can feel it. I sense it. And I, I love you enough to tell you this. If you're in sin, stop. Just stop. How many more times can you walk into service and want to get in so bad and want to feel the presence of God so bad, but yet your lifestyle limits the ability for you to see him face to face? And yet he says in the word that he stands at the door of your heart knocking, saying, can I come in? And we go, la, 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 I don't hear you. Because it might just cause us to change. Don't go on social media and pull out your opinions. Give them the word of God. Because here's the problem. If I got more opinions than I got word, there's a problem in me. You don't have to justify what you believe or what you think about a president or what you think about this. Nobody cares what you think. 
And if you need the acceptance of people, then you have lost the acceptance of God. Because you're going to have to choose one or the other. Will you stand in the court of Pilate and cry out for Jesus even when the crowd screams for Barabbas? Even if they all hate you, will you still do it? Even if they turn on you, will you still do it? Somebody said to me one day, they said, you use God as a crutch. You doggone right because without him I have a nasty limp. Because I've been wounded way too many times. But he is the strength of my life. Marching forward, called, chosen, anointed. Next week you're going to hear about the more, that you were created for more than where you are right now. You want to be the more? You better get into the called. You want to be the more? You want to experience the more? Good. You better walk in the chosen. You want to experience the more? You better let the anointing come upon you. Because <laughs> I have uncovered out of this series, as God's given this to me, that if you will walk in these three areas, you will experience the more of heaven. The more of God that you've never really tapped into. I want all of that. But I have to be willing to go against the grain of the culture and walk according to the word. I said this earlier. I want to say it one more time. I'm going to ask you to do this for the next seven days. I'm going to ask those of you watching online to do this as well with me. I know I'm not going to go check. I don't have time to do all that. I don't care that much. I'm going to ask you to ask to, to place it in your spirit for the next seven days. I'm going to post the things of God. Maybe post a prayer. Maybe post an encouraging word. Post strength. Limit or tear down, rip apart those moments to like a post and when it tears down other people or, or it's an opinion. Don't, don't take people's opinions. Post the word. Watch what it does. Do you know how many people need the word right now? I need the word right now. Post your family. That's fine. Post your family. But, 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 but take your moments that you want to blow out opinions and blow out truth. And watch what it does to the people around you. First of all, you'll get one of two things. You'll probably get some people who'd like unfriend you. They need to go away anyway. They're just sitting around stalking you anyway. But then they start to go, wow, look what they're doing. It might just change them to do the same. To realize that I have a weapon in my hand through social media to either inf infect the world or bring change to the world. I'm going to demonstrate change, and that is with God. Everybody stand to your feet. We did it last week. We're going to do it again this week. First of all, if you stand in this place without any head bows, without any eyes closed, if you're in sin or there's sin in your life, raise your hand as high as it goes. Say, Pastor, that's me. I know you're in the room. You might as well get it out. Good. Remember, God knows whether you're lifted or not, so don't think because you didn't lift your hand, God doesn't see you. He sees you. He knows who you are. And here's the great part. God's not condemning. He's not going to see. I told you they were down there. He knew you were here all along. And yet he spoke to you this morning. He woke you up this morning. He brought you here this morning so you could lay it down and walk away from it so you don't have to walk under the condemnation of it anymore. So with everybody in the room in one accord, because we all sinners saved by grace, we might as well say it together. Say this with me. Say, God, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. So today I lay down all 
all of my sins. I lay them at the foot of the cross. Crucify them, God. Destroy them. I don't want them anymore. Today, I choose freedom. I accept your calling. Done. Done. Now listen, if you walk out of here condemned, you didn't believe anything just came out of your mouth. That's your choice. I get out the door and I say, oh God, I'm sitting around going to hell. No, you told God you let it go. Now let me help you with something. That means when you walk out, please do not pick up what you left outside the door. You know what I'm talking about? Because you came into church. Well, I'm going to leave it out here. I'll pick it up after church and then I'll go back to it. No, stop. If it's in your house, get it out of your house. Stop it. Pour it out, throw it out, whatever it is that you got to deal with, get rid of it. If it's something that's affecting your life, pluck that sucker out. If you can't, oh, I'm going to say it. If you can't get on social media and do what's right, delete the account. Half them people aren't your friends anyway. I got friends from elementary school in there. They didn't find you till last year and you're 53. Stop. Okay, so we got the sin out of the way, right? Got the sin out of the way. So now I can say this in this room. All of us in this room have answered the call. How many called folk do I have in this room? Come on. Come on, every hand should go up right now. If you aren't putting your hand up, you're playing yourself. I'm called. Say it, I'm called. Okay. Now watch. Here it comes. You can't stay called. If you stay called, you're nothing more than a church attender. You play visitation on Sundays. I don't want to play in visitation on Sundays. I want to play he inhabits. So I'm going to step into the chosen. Brian, I've appointed you. I've called you. I've purposed you. I've, I've, I've chosen you for such a time as this. Father, today we choose to be chosen. Here it comes. You ready? Here it comes. Put both hands straight up. Both hands straight up. I feel this thing. God, I feel this thing. Say this with me. Say, God, I know I'm chosen, but I need your anointing. Pour out your anointing. Empower me to do. Father, I thank you for your anointing right now. Father, I pray that everybody's got their hands up right now under the sound of my voice, that the moment you speak to them, they move. They move. They move. They move. When you say pray, they'll pray. When you say declare, they'll declare. When you say walk this way, they'll walk this way. When they say do this thing, you'll do, they'll do this thing. And they won't argue. They'll just do it. And why? Because the anointing is upon them to do it. The anointing is upon them to do it. Father, I believe with everything in my heart, there are soul winners in this room. I believe there are people in this room right now that can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Father, I don't believe it's just reserved for the preacher. I don't believe it's reserved for the staff and the leadership of a local church. Father, I believe it's a reserved power that's in all of us. It's that dunamis function that operates in us. So, Father, I declare in the name of Jesus that there are not just soul winners, but there are healers and deliverers in this room. There are people that will set the captives free. There will people that will heal the brokenhearted, God. Speak life to the captive, God. That those things that, that are going on in our culture, in our city will not be the will not be the end all, will not be the ending fruit of this thing. But if, Father, you're going to give us the power to bring healing to the tree that will therefore bear, bear good fruit in its season, God, and we will see the fullness of your power manifest in this city, in this state, in this country. Let everything that we do, God, be bound by your word, not bound by our opinions. 
Give us the power, the anointing to overcome the screams of the crowd and stand up and say, I choose Jesus. Set him free. Or as Pastor Robert preached, let him out. Today, God, we choose to take our place in this time and in this season. Not as people who've not been called, but as a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people who were not yet a people, but are now chosen by you. Who were called out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, today we want to be used by you. Father, take us from this place. Give us traveling mercies as we go home. Prepare us for what you're going to walk us into this week so that we can demonstrate your heart, your power, your might in the earth. Let the world see not only who we are, but whose we are. 